3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respects to elders past and present. We recognize their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, everyone. You're listening to 3CR Breakfast. Today is Tuesday, the 20th of September. My name is Fung, and in the studio, we've also got Carnegie this morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm really well. I rode to the studios this morning. That is so impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah, from St Kilda. That's amazing. I'm, I've just got a new bike and I'm <gasps> contemplating trying from Footscray. Yes, yes. We okay. should do a ride to the station day. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> what time would you have to leave? Because I left at quarter to six this morning. And I, yeah, <laughs> it would have to be very early. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but when I'm, it's warmer. It is, although this should. morning uh, I had gloves on I had like the yeah. full it was it was pretty chilly but <laughs> felt so good I feel like really awake yeah yeah it's such a nice feeling mm. it is such a nice feeling um but I looked at the weather forecast and I think it's gonna be 19 today which no is balmy <laughs> compared amazing. to what we've been having but you know when like in the morning you really rug up because you're like it's cold right now but then I know that later I'm just gonna have to lug <laughs> All my, that's all, right. all my warm um, clothing with me when I ride home. So, I know the feeling. Yeah. <laughs> that's all right, though. I'm still proud of myself. That's, yes, you should be. Yeah. It's incredible. How far is it? Uh, I'm not sure. But from St. Kilda to Collingwood. Far. That's, yeah, that's far. Yeah. Mm. Um, I took a long way as well because I just... I haven't, I've never done it before, so I wanted to make sure that I could do it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, what colour is your new bike? It's blue. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. That's so exciting. Yeah. Have you um, used it yet? I have. It's very comfy. So, yeah, I want to do a few big rides. This, yeah. this might be one of them. Yeah, let's do it. Um, we can do, yeah, we can do a, um, a ride to, to 3CR breakfast day. You Sounds know, amazing. It'd be funny if we had like um, recorders with us and like we narrated. <laughs> we narrate, nobody. People would be like, "This is not what I signed or, up for." Or you'd be able to hear us like the wind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it'd be terrible quality. Oh yeah, we're like puffed out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay, so it's just the two of us in the studios today, but we've still got a big show. Uh, tell us what's coming up first. So we're going to start with uh, an interview with artist Foni Salvatore, who is an African-Australian artist based in the west of Melbourne. Her work explores diasporic identity, and she currently has a show on at Footscray Community Arts, which looks incredible. Awesome. Um, After that, we'll be speaking with app developer Katie Elizabeth, who has recently um, worked on a project called Footscray Foodie, which is a social good app that aims to help the community in the West um, kind of recover from economic, uh, whatever, what's the word I'm looking for? (laughs) Economic recovery. 
Yes. Yeah. Of the West. Yeah. Um, After COVID, when, you know, heaps of small businesses uh, were closing down and the app encourages people to get out and about in Footscray and its surrounding suburbs and try all the cafes and bars and restaurants, um, heaps of which are opened, you know, just recently and not not doing great after COVID. Mm, so It'd be so hard. Yeah, so she's coming on to talk to us about that app, which is launching this Thursday. Awesome. And then at 8 o'clock, uh, we've got Jazz Walker from the Tomorrow Movement coming into the studios. Amazing. Yeah, we have an in-studio guest. I know, we have another in-studio guest. So um, Jazz is going to speak to us about the organisation Tomorrow Movement, um, talking about the climate crisis and... Uh, Climate Jobs for All, their their latest campaign, and also what needs to be done to secure a future for young people. And then at quarter past eight, we'll be speaking to Ursula from Healthy Futures. Um, she's joining us to speak to us about the open letter signed by healthcare workers um, demanding that the Vic government commit to 100% renewable energy by 2030, and they're going to deliver that open letter to Vic Parliament tomorrow. So, um, yeah, that's a really important discussion that we're going to have towards Amazing. the end of the show. What a great show. I know. I'm really excited. Um, I'm picking up the themes of like the West <laughs> and the environment. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, two very important things. Okay, we'll be back with the news headlines right after this. Black Spark is an independent, volunteer-run bookshop, gallery, music and community space in Northcote, Nam, dedicated to creativity, learning and liberation. Black Spark is a space for the entire community, free of charge, hosting art, music and literary events. To keep Black Spark free, open and accessible to everybody, we need your help. We are calling for your support for our rent fundraiser to keep our doors open into the coming years. With your support, we can continue to host book and exhibition launches, art auctions, fundraisers, music gigs, and facilitate opportunities and growth for emerging artists and grassroots communities. For more information, visit Keep Black Spark Alive on chuffed.com or check out Black Spark on all the socials. Keep Black Spark Alive! A 3CR supporter. Abolish the Monarchy Rally. Thursday, 22nd of September at 1.30pm. Assembling at Birurung Ma, opposite the Arts Centre, and then marching through the city. Abolish the Monarchy, return stolen land, stop Aboriginal deaths in custody. Black mother at her doorstep. Impale a brother on her doorstep. The number brother shakes, fully got no life left. Organised by the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance and Community, a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. This morning's headlines, as you just heard, um, there is a protest in Melbourne tomorrow. I mean, sorry, Thursday, the 22nd of September at 1.30pm Um to abolish the monarchy. Uh, if you're interested, meet at Berang Ma um, at 1.30pm, which will be followed by a march to parliament. Uh, 
I think this is an incredibly important protest. Um, as we talked about last week, and as I'm sure everybody has seen in the media over the last couple of weeks, uh, there's been a lot of discussion around why Australia is still linked to the monarchy, um, which links to a lot of um, conversations about identity and colonization. And, you know, I think a protest like this is incredibly important um, and everybody should be there if you can. It's a public holiday, um, which is the great thing about the protest that it's happening on that day. So, um, yeah, if you're interested, come down at one thirty on Thursday to Barangma. Uh, in other news headlines, which are, which is linked to this news headline, um, Daniel Andrews has said that he will be renaming the Marunda Hospital um, after Queen Elizabeth. Um, there's been a lot of outrage over this in the community, understandably. Um, and, yeah, it's... Hopefully, it's something he has... Um, started to address in the media. Um, hopefully it is something that doesn't go ahead. Um, it's quite disrespectful, especially in the face of what's going on um, to change an Indigenous name to that of a coloniser. Mm. Um, you know, whatever your views may be on the matter, that's, yeah. Um, and our final headline of this morning, Origin Energy has finally agreed to divest 100% from their uh, fracking operations in the Beetaloo. This has come after um, just so much campaigning and protesting and activism from grassroots communities and especially Indigenous communities. So that's incredibly great news for yeah, this morning. Awesome. Yeah, well, thank you for those news headlines, Carnegie. We're going to come back with a song right after this message. Ross House is a five-storey heritage-listed community building situated in the heart of Melbourne at 247 to 251 Flinders Lane, just up from DeGrave Street and next to the City Library and CAE. Ross House is the only community-owned and managed building in Australia, home to many of Melbourne's charities and not-for-profit groups. Ross House has been a pioneer in the social and environmental movements since 1987. Ross House is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to 3CR Breakfast. We're going to play a song for you this morning. Uh, it's by Lucy Dacus. It's called Night Shift, just a language warning. If you'd prefer not to tune in, please come back in around five minutes. But this is her 2018 song, Night Shift. The first time I tasted somebody else's spit I had a coughing fit I mistakenly called them by your name I was let down, it wasn't the same I'm doing fine Trying to do it 
Again. 
3CR Community Radio, 855am. Welcome back to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. We just played the song Night Shift by Lucy Dacus for you. Up next, we'll hear from architectural design activist Linda Kennedy, who introduced the recent 2022 Forum for Dwelling Justice. Linda delivered the keynote speech from the symposium held at the Capitol Theatre here in Nam a few weeks ago. The event brought together grassroots individuals, groups and activist scholars to talk about the radical potential for resistance to dispossession, displacement and precarity in the activist space. Organised by RMIT's Centre for Urban Research, the forum was supported by the International Journal of Housing Policy, RAHU, which is the Renters and Housing Union, and 3CR. Uh, Yalanga and Walawani, everyone. Before I begin, I'd just like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations and acknowledge that we're on unceded land, sovereign land that was never ceded and to acknowledge the displacement histories from the place where we meet here today and the privilege that it is for us to meet here on this land, considering the histories of where we are. Um, and also acknowledge any other Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people that are here with us today. My name is Linda Kennedy. I'm a UN woman from the south coast of New South Wales and my bloodline connection comes back to Gunai country and Wajabalak in Western Victoria um, and Radjuri country in Western New South Wales. I've got, I guess, two two jobs here today. One is to have you on and tell you a bit of, I guess, bring some context to the conversations we're having here today around dwelling justice, and also to introduce our keynote speaker. So first I'll just start by kind of having a yarn. One of my sister girls rang me last night when I've been feeling pretty nervous about coming here today. This is the first time I've actually spoken at something like this since having my daughter, who's three years old now. Um, and I'm, this is the first time I've been away from her for the longest period of time. And I'm feeling this extreme like anxiety of separation. If there's other mums in the room who might know that feeling, but it's definitely impacted my sense, I guess, of confidence coming up and having a yarn. Um, also, I guess the shift for me in having a daughter and for other people who have got people in their care of what it means to actually have security in housing and how that impacts their everyday life as parents or carers and people who have responsibility to other people in their lives. My background, or I guess why Libby's invited me here today, my training is in architecture and planning. So I studied down here in Melbourne, actually, and lived here for a few years. The complexities, I guess, within the architecture industry are what drove me away from that space and pushed me towards trying to build my knowledge of the planning industry more. I love design and I love designing and I love architecture. This is a very curious space for having this forum in. My uh, work within architecture is, I guess, focused on decolonizing design, which is looking at ways in which we can undo, I guess, some of the systematic um, processes within architectural design to shift more focus and balance to Aboriginal ways of knowing, doing and being. I guess for people here who may have some understanding of architectural practice, like it's a very exclusive industry and it's not just in the way that design kind of occurs, but the systems that surround it. I and mean, a big part of that is governance. And I guess the more that I was working within the architectural design space, the more I could see how these limitations in governance where everything is going back to a mainstream system 
are really limiting the ability for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to have impact in that space while all the decision making is still going back to non-Aboriginal people um, with values that are set within a settler colonial governance system. And that these limitations, it's not just having impacts for Aboriginal people, but for everyone. You know, some of the, I guess, the lens that I see that through is how, you know, design, in particularly for housing, but also in urban design in Australia, have been used as tools to control and assimilate Aboriginal people from the onset of invasion. Particularly, I think missions are the easiest way to understand how design has been used to control control us. But the nuclear household is also a really kind of stark example of how the, you know, the values and, and ways of living from, you know, the homelands of our invaders has had really significant impacts on our quality of life and also our cultural genocide in, in disconnecting us from the ways that we've lived for thousands of years and sustainably for thousands of years. And to say that the nuclear household doesn't doesn't work for anybody, it's not just for Aboriginal people that it, that it doesn't work. So I've been working on my own projects back on my home country on the south coast in the Illawarra of New South Wales. Has anybody here been to the Illawarra around Wollongong Shaw Harbour areas? Yeah, a few people. So it's a we've got a you know re reasonable size Aboriginal community. Like we've got two cities, Shaw Harbour and, and Wollongong. It's it's a complex, I guess, social history. Part of the displacement histories on the south coast are similar to other areas along the, the east coast of Australia where. Aboriginal people were moved off country into missions or reserves, but a lot of our family groups still have connection to country up and down the coast from the Sydney basin right down to where the Victorian border is, what we now know as the Victorian border. And I guess some of the, the biggest impacts from colonisation is the exclusion of Aboriginal people from decision making processes about country. And working regionally, like I think this is something that from a a conceptual point of view we can understand, but what that means on the ground I think is really important to understand at a local level and something that my interests or energies are being invested in at the moment. Part of this is at a local level, I think when we're in Melbourne there's a pretty strong kind of political base. We wouldn't get anywhere near as many of these people back home if we held an event like this. The one of the challenges working locally and regionally is how to, I guess, create some kind of subversion to the system uh, in a way that's inclusive and makes people feel like they can be part of the journey. So often the energies that go into that space are actually around community building and creating safe spaces, not necessarily around um, bringing up the bigger political issues and that they, they're conversations that can be brought in after there's a level of, of safety and um, I guess, capacity building within our local community. Uh, some of the issues that we have on country at the moment are around uh, this, you know, underground mining has been going on for since extractive industries have been the basis of the economic industry in the Illawarra since invasion. Beginning with cedar logging, like it took 40, only 40 years for the colony to extract all of the cedar from the escarpment in the Illawarra shell mining, uh, mining for shells off our shell middens, which um, for lime for building. So a lot of our shell middens along the coast have been destroyed very early on in invasion to support colonial building. The, um, the railway that was built to get down to Port Kembla, where we've got a large port in Port Kembla, 
has really impacted the ability for water to flow from our mountains on the escarpment down to the to the lake to filter out to the ocean. These things continue today. You know, the impacts that have been from the, you know, the early 1830s when whitefathers were first coming down there, they continue today. And they also found the decisions that are made now in terms of future planning for our region. You can really clearly read in our you know, local and regional planning documents how the economic basis for our whole region is based on mining and conversations to stop this go through you know our land rights legislation in New South Wales I'm not sure how how similar it is in Victoria go back to a system of lands councils yet our lands councils are set within a system that's in a colonial governance system so there are significant flaws when our position to have voice and power sits within a system that disempowers us from from the onset and our exclusion from the constitution is you know the, the foundation of that exclusion from decision making today i guess to share with from a local perspective and from an aboriginal perspective how we can start to shift these things is like a lot of the energies that i see put into change making today come to building the capacity of non-aboriginal people to engage with aboriginal content or aboriginal cultures and I understand why this is important, especially with the levels of racism that have happened across the last couple of centuries in Australia. But it is equally, and I would say more important, that we start to invest our energies and our money in building the capacity of Aboriginal people to engage in these systems, rather than always having the focus on building the capacity of non-Aboriginal people. And if that's the main takeaway that I can give to you today, to take back to whatever it is within your organisations or your schools or wherever it is that you've come from, to really consider when you're looking at creating change within your organisation, like who you're creating that change for and what the benefits are for Aboriginal people. Um, my next part to do today is to introduce Senator Lydia Thorpe to give our keynote today. So I'm going to introduce Sister Lydia. Um, Lydia is a proud Gunai Gunijmara and Jabarang woman. She's a human rights, climate and forest activist a mother, a grandmother, and a survivor of family violence. She's the first Aboriginal woman in Victorian Parliament and the first First Nations representative in Victoria in the federal parliament. Um, I think we should all know, at least at some level in the media, how deadly Lydia is. And Lydia is part of the change in governance that especially I know for myself as an Aboriginal woman that we've been seeking for and looking up to. And from New South Wales, we back you up, sis, and it's so great to have you here today. That was architectural design activist Linda Kennedy there delivering the keynote speech from the Symposium on Dwelling Justice. Uh, to hear more from the event, you can tune in on Thursdays at 12pm, where we are playing discussions from the forum about the relationship between colonial dispossession, housing injustice, incarceration, racial violence and poverty, and how we all have a role to play in building solidarity among movements. Um, in that segment just there, you heard Linda Kennedy introducing Lydia Thorpe. You can hear Lydia's keynote by visiting www.3cr.org.au forward slash acting up. We are going to play another song for you now. This is called Goldfish and it's by uh, a young actor and artist. Her name is Aisha Madden.
Do you remember all the nights we wasted? Knocking, running, making MySpace pages And we didn't have a clue, nothing to do Just go through the phases Now I'm bigger, I got aspirations And I battle with my expectations Get nostalgic when the weather changes And I cry like a fool Wish I could hold it all together I'm just trying not to If I was a goldfish, wouldn't even Keep my mind held on tight to my shoulders Wish I could hold it all together I'm just trying not to live like I was made for something better Would it even matter? If I was a goldfish, wouldn't even the song Goldfish by Aisha Madden. Phony Salvatore is an African-Australian artist based in Melbourne whose work explores her diasporic identity. She's on the show this morning to talk to us about her art, her identity and the current exhibition at Footscray Community Arts called Citizen, to which she seeks to normalise the place of South Sudanese communities within Australian society. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, can you start by maybe just giving us a little bit more of a background about yourself and your art? Yeah, uh, so my name is Pony and I have been passionate about, about just curating and making things that relate to me. Uh, I usually, so my, my vision is just based on things that um, it's just all about 
it's kind of selfish. It's all about the things that relate to me, basically. And so I, I've been seeing, I've been going around different galleries in Australia, and and I don't see people like me, or I don't see art that reflects um, to me, or yeah, so things that don't really engage with me. And so that's why I'm curating now. I'm trying to um, make the space. With other, there's also other artists out there um, who are also trying to make the space um, for other, for diversity and for other people. And so that's that's my aim now is just to to curate that space for myself and others. Yeah, you're right. Um, I have seen as well. Uh, there's a lot of artwork out there um, by artists of color who are exploring similar themes to yours, like diasporic experiences and race and intergenerational trauma. Um, you know, I think that's something that's been historically very lacking in the Western world of art, which is usually quite wide. Um, why do you think that, you know, there's been kind of a uptake on art like this? I think that people were kind of... Uh waking up and I think our conversations are very bold now like we're able to speak, we're able to um, get together and open up about things and there are spaces for us to to be more honest and I think the best thing about about it is honesty so that's how stories are told and that's how we're able to see things uh, clearly and so I think before that, maybe there was some type of fear or maybe there's not... Um, people weren't really listening to us. And I think the modern world or the time that we're in right now provided that for us. We were able to speak freely and to just show ourselves more. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. Um, you know, there's space for different people and different artists to show themselves. Um which is really, really great. Uh, you know, on your website, for example, you say that you engage and experiment with things that create and diminish identity. Um, can you tell us a bit more about what this means? For me, I, I also feel like when we, when I was just self, I feel like it's kind of self-absorption when you talk so much about identity and um, that does also isolate you. Uh, in a in a country that's diverse as Australia, if you not if you, but I personally feel like when I'm just talking so much about things that I identify with, sometimes that could also isolate me. And so I need to I, I create work that would, you know, just challenge both aspects of like showing my identity and also. The, the, the part about it where is just a bit, um, you know, like I'm not, I'm showing too much of, like I'm doing too, like for example, you know, how people, like racism is such a big deal, but curating so much artwork that's, that's around racism kind of takes away the, the, your, yourself, takes away from who you truly are, like what you're, about because racism doesn't really define you it's just the things that you you have to face and so that's the type of ideas that i had in my in my mind 
Yeah, I think that's really interesting、um, because it is something that's a part of your experience, but it, like you said, it doesn't define you. So the art, you know, will be more complex as well. Yeah. Yeah.、Um, so your exhibition, Citizen, which is at Footscray Community Arts at the moment, seeks to normalize the place of South Sudanese communities in Australian society. Can you tell us a bit about what led you to create this series?、Uh, yes. So my my mum owns a hair salon, and she has like the most amazing, interesting customers coming through. And I I hear all these great stories, and I felt sort of kind of I, I felt robbed of my own. Stories, and I'm kind of lucky to not have this type of stories because、um, I came here so young, and I thought that you know people need to hear this. No one really sees us for us. Everybody is kind of seeing. Also, around the time that my ears were forming, there was a lot of negative talk about the community, the Southerners community in Melbourne and maybe in Australia, and so I was thinking like. No one is seeing these, this gem, like this conversation happening. No one is viewing us in this vulnerable state, and so I just thought I wanted to, into you know, integrate people more out there and like、um, push us out of our little comfort zone because we're all in this.、Um, um, also, my mom owns a hair salon in Footscray, so Footscray is very.、Uh, if you go to Footscray, it's like. Fifty different sections or four different sections of of ethnic groups, which is beautiful. Like there's harmony and everything, but for someone from outside, it's just like there's all these different、um, areas. So I felt like a lot of people just feel comfortable as an African. A lot of Africans were comfortable being in that space and being open and vulnerable in those spaces. And I was thinking, you know, we're, we're part of Australia, and most of the conversations were like. Very、uh, differentiating themselves from Australian, even though they've been here for so long, and and because and looking at themselves as guests rather than actual citizens of the country, even though they have citizenships. So、uh, my thing was just like we need to be more、um, vocal, and we need to be more, you know, like we're here. This is our space, and we're in this country as well. And yeah, that's just. Normalize our faces around, so then people are not so.、Um, I feel like when people don't know about people about others, or there's this the fear of unknown or ignorance, that creates a lot more of problems. So yeah. A, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm a migrant to this country as well,、um, and you know, I find the concept of being a citizen really interesting, especially in the、yeah. Australian context. So. Um, you know, I think it's really cool that you've explored that through your exhibition and your art.、Um, you know, what are your thoughts on what citizenship means? Thank you.、Um, for me, I, I also struggled with that because I, I remember I was like, "What do I call myself? Do I call myself Australian or do I call myself African Australian?" I was like, "Is that even a thing?" Or do I call myself Sudanese Australian?、Um, citizenship for me is just. Unfortunately, it is just paper, and it's also paper backed a lot of support from the Australian government, I believe.、Um, but now I just feel like it's just—I should be able to say I am Australian, because whether I go back home or 
like if I go back home, I'm a foreigner. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be seen as the foreign person in that land, and and I'm a foreign person in this country as well. But this is the home that I live in, and this is a place that I that I um, envision parts of my future in. So I you kind of have to just deal with it uh, and deal with the fact that you're not going to be fully Australian, but you are a part of Australia. And Australia is becoming more open to others um, in terms of, you know, immigration. The history of immigration, we've always had different, different types of groups that came through. And they've all faced different challenges. And now you're probably like the, you know, the end of that group where it's like, you know, accepting black people more, accepting other um, races more. And it's also challenging because Indigenous people don't get this. Like, they don't get uh, the privileges that I have or or I haven't seen. I haven't seen them getting, like, I don't know, it's just a very awkward space to be because I am the, uh, the guest here in some sort of way. And I'm also taking um, space for the people that own this land. So, so it's an odd citizenship. It's a situation that's um, it's interesting. But it is comfort. It's, it's based on comfort. I am in a comfortable place. Um, and I do have a citizenship. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. And I absolutely relate to that um, feeling of... You know, we're guests on somebody else's land. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so it, it's it's still, you know, it is complex and um, important to kind of reflect on these different complexities and nuances of identity and citizenship. Um, you know, how has the African diasporic community felt seeing their stories reflected in an exhibition like Citizen? Yeah, so it's interesting because there's a... Uh, the the younger generation and the older generation are totally different. Like the people that grew up in Australia and people born in Australia are, are, are African Australians are completely different compared to the older generation. The older generation are much more, I feel, maybe timid. Like they don't want to be out there. They don't want to be. Uh, they don't want to do too much that would cause problems. And I'm always confused as to what kind of problems do you, do you envision. And, like, it's usually, like, I don't know, it just sounds, like, dramatic. Like, they think it's some sort of, like, oh, yeah, they, the government's going to come and take this and ship away or something. I don't know. But it's just the the younger, the older generation, it's harder to... Well, majority of the people, the subjects that I painted were the older generation because they really wanted to support me and were happy to help me and, and all that kind of stuff. But when I wanted to share more of their messages in written in written words, they were more um, reluctant because it's just they didn't want to give too much out. And I understand that, but it's also, it's just like, there's this thing where it's like, if you do anything, like, oh, they're like, it's not my country. You have to, like, be um, cautious and, and also... Yeah, it's just a, it's a very it's an odd uh, group of people. Whereas the younger generation, when they saw the work, they were very like um, they were like, yeah, yeah, like I see this, I see it with my parents, I see it with my family members. They're very 
they, they act like um, foreigners in this country and and all that kind of stuff. So I can relate more to the younger generation because I, it, that's the people that I um, we had the same challenges. Yeah. But the older generation as well, they do appreciate it. The people that came through and they saw the art, they were really, um, they were proud and they're like, this is amazing, this is great work. But beforehand, they were kind of just cautious. But yeah, yeah the younger generation are very much into it and they're very um, outspoken. Definitely. And I, I think that caution of from the older generations really speaks to you know, generations of migration and how they've been treated. Um, And so it's really interesting, the shift in that in the younger generation. Um, And I think it reflects the change you're talking about, um, which is hopeful. Yeah. Um, So can you tell our listeners where they can go and see Citizen and how they can keep up with your work? Yeah. Um, So Footscray Art Centre, the amazing community centre, is located in... Footscray, I'm sure you can Google the address. I'm not really sure what that is. And it is open Tuesday to Friday, to Sunday, I believe. And it is closed on the holidays, on public holidays, closed on Mondays. Um, Footscray Art Center is like... Um, yeah, Footscray Art Center is, is, like, has been so great and, like, I'm so pleased by them and, like, they've just been amazing. Um, it is open 9.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. My show is in the entry, entrance gallery um, and it's playing alongside another art show, another um, exhibition called Interplay. But, yeah, go see that as well. It's amazing. Um, you, can, you can follow me on... Instagram, which is P-H-O underscore Ken, K-N-E, which is uh, Po underscore me or Phony. And my website is phonyart.com. Amazing. Um, We'll also link to that in our show notes later today for any listeners who do want to follow Phony. Um, That's all we have time for this morning. But thank you so much for joining us and having this um, great conversation. Thank you so much. So that was um, artist uh, Foni Salvatore, um, whose work Citizen is currently exhibiting at Footscray Community Arts. We'll be right back after this. Black Spark is an independent, volunteer-run bookshop, gallery, music and community space in Northcote, Nam, dedicated to creativity, learning and liberation. Black Spark is a space for the entire community, free of charge, hosting art, music and literary events. To keep Black Spark free, open and accessible to everybody, we need your help. We are calling for your support for our rent fundraiser to keep our doors open into the coming years. With your support, we can continue to host book and exhibition launches, art auctions, fundraisers, music gigs, and facilitate opportunities and growth for emerging artists and grassroots communities. For more information, visit Keep Black Spark Alive on chuffed.com or check out Black Spark on all the socials. Keep Black Spark Alive! A 3CR supporter. Uh-uh. 
Tuesday Breakfast would like to thank our friends at Living Koko for their support of the program. Living Koko puts community first by respecting food sovereignty. Based in Braybrook, they create bean-to-bar chocolates, cacao tea, intentional drinking cacao and cacao mass in bulk. A zero-waste manufacturing space, Living Koko ethically sourced cacao from over 130 domestic village farms in Samoa. They are at livingkoko.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children aged 3 and 4 can access 15 hours per week of free kindergarten. In a kinder program, children learn through play, art, music and dance. Qualified teachers create culturally safe places for Aboriginal children and families. Koori kids shine at kindergarten. Find out more at vic.gov.au forward slash kids shine. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. Welcome back to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. Next up, uh, we're going to be speaking with an award-winning app developer, uh, Katie Elizabeth, uh, who has recently been working on a social good project called Footscray Foodie, which aims to help the economy in and around the West uh, kind of recover after COVID. Um, and the app, it's, it's, the app is a gamified app that encourages people to visit and revisit local restaurants, bars and cafes while earning badges, achievements and rewards. Welcome to the show, Katie. Thanks for having me. And I'll just apologize in advance if I cough because I'm just a little bit sick. <laughs> That's okay. Um, we really appreciate you coming on the show despite being sick this early in the morning. Um, so the app sounds really cool. Can you tell us how the idea for the app came about? Sure. So um, last year, as we were opening up, um, the city of Maribyrnong um, was sharing a lot of information, asking people for um, expressions of interest and ideas um, and also opening grants um, for anything that could help the city of Maribyrnong um, recover post-COVID-19 lockdown. Um, small businesses were, as you know, really, really severely affected. Um, and, and Footscray in the West is quite famous for all the, you know, amazing little um, restaurants um, and um, independent grocers. So um, myself and my team, as we're app developers, and we mainly specialise in um, gamification and a lot of interaction style stuff, we thought... Oh, wouldn't it be awesome if we did something just to help our community because we're all from the West? And we kind of brainstormed and we came up with this great foodie. That's amazing. Um, so what does it mean that this is a social good project? Um, you know, is it beneficial to the wider community? Yeah, so um, in the first instance, it's a totally not-for-profit project. So there's no secret catch. We're not storing or selling anyone's private information or data. It's not a startup. Um, there's no <laughs> um, secret agenda to spin this out and make millions of dollars off anyone. Um, and so essentially, um, that's actually very rare. Mobile apps are pretty much um, products that are made to eventually you know, scale up and make money for the founders. 
Um, but in this instance, it's a totally not-for-profit project. Um, and so our only goal is to make sure um, the end users have an awesome time exploring the West and that the businesses are able to um, demonstratively um, recover financially and economically um, from all the hardships that they went through in COVID-19. Um, and I think Footscray is such a great place to have it because, like you said, the food culture is so unique and incredible and diverse and I feel like an app like this will really get people out there trying new things and also you know repeatedly going back to the same amazing restaurants um what are some of the app's main features yeah so um we have so many features and they're actually constantly um rolling out with new stuff like we have a schedule that will keep updating it so it's always fun to open it up and see what else is there um, obviously, we have like search tools where you can find different kinds of restaurants. You can find things that are open now. You can look up, you know, I just want to eat ice cream, or <laughs> I want, <laughs> I want pizza. I want East African food. I want to try every single bun me in the West. Um, but we also do stuff like we've created different badges and awards. So we kind of want to like encourage people, like if you love bun me let's say, or if you think you're a bit of a faux connoisseur, faux connoisseur, um, we actually list every single um, trader um, that sells fur, and then what we want you to do is go and try all of them, and then you will receive, like, the award badge that you've actually tried all of them. So it kind of means you become, like, a opinion leader. <laughs> um yeah, so anyway, we've got lots of different badges um, relating to all sorts of categories and topics. But then we also have fun stuff like um, like a Tinder swipe style um, interaction where if you're not sure what you want to eat, you can just swipe on all these different cards that pop up to show you different options. And um, yeah, there's lots more to come. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so much fun. It kind of sounds slightly like Pokemon Go in a way, like you walk around. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's basically you're meant to go around and collect all the restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of Pokemon. Amazing. I love it. Um, I also saw, because I live in the West, um, I also saw that there were posters and flyers for traders in Vietnamese so that it was easier for a lot of the Vietnamese community, which is, of course, um, huge in Footscray, to get involved. Um, you know, was that, did that get a really good response from the traders? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the second most spoken language um, in the city of Maribyrnong is Vietnamese. And um, it was really important to us that we make the app as accessible as possible and community-led. So we made sure that we had everything translated and we have, you know, um, Vietnamese people on the design team who worked really closely to design all of that and make it awesome. Um, it definitely helped us with the um, uptake and what we're hoping as the app goes live is it helps um, older members of the community engage with the app um, more easily as well. Yeah, I think that's so incredible um, to have that kind of community-led lens on an app like this and, you know, make it more accessible for various demographics, especially in a place like Footscray. Um, so the app is launching this Thursday. Can you tell us about the launch event? Uh, yes, um, <laughs> I'm a bit of a nerd, so I mo mainly know the details around the app. 
but there is a really awesome launch party this Thursday night from 6 till 9 right here in Footscray, where I'm calling you from live and direct right now. Um, there's going to be heaps of food trucks and food and drinks and vendors and stuff. So you can imagine if Footscray Foodie was going to have a party, that's the vibe. Um, there's also going to be like merch and giveaways and little gifts and basically just kind of celebrating and, and launching the app. And the event is the location. Actually, I think you have the details on the address. I'm so sorry. I don't know the address. I sure do. So the location is um, 2 US Street in Footscray, which is um, just behind the Bar Lickety Split. Um, and they have been having a really cool night market called Street Eats. Um, and this is the last one for the year. Um, so Footscray Foodie has got on board and will be um, having a little Footscray Foodie lounge there. Is that right? Yes, we're going to have a Footscray Foodie lounge. There's going to be a photo booth set up. We're going to be giving out um, drink vouchers and food vouchers, prizes. Um, it's a really great way to start off your long weekend. <laughs> so we please invite everyone to come down and check us out. That sounds really fun. Um, the market itself is also really great. And you know, I went last month and there are lots of families there, um, lots of really great food. So, yeah, definitely encourage all our listeners to come down. Um, where can people find out more about the app? Is, is there social media they can follow? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can check us out on Instagram. We're just Footscray3D app. Um, and we also have a TikTok which will go live after the app launch party where we'll be um, featuring a different trader each week and doing a deep dive into all the awesome cuisine of the West. So both of those are for Grace Foodie app. Amazing. Um, Katie, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That's all we have time for, unfortunately. But um, thanks so much for telling us about this amazing app and um, encouraging everyone to come down to the launch on Thursday. No worries. Thanks. I hope to see you all there. So that was Katie Elizabeth from the VU Hive Lab talking to us about the Footscray Foodie app, which will be launched on Thursday. That sounds so exciting. Um, before our next interview, we're going to play just a quick song for you now. This is by a local band called Blusher. It took a minute to take it in.
was the song Softly Spoken by local band Blusher. Joining me in the studios this morning, right now, we've got Jazz Walker, who is an organiser with Tomorrow Movement. And um, Jazz is here to talk to us about the ongoing climate crisis and what actions are needed to secure a future for young people. Welcome to the studio, Jazz. Hi, Fong. Thanks so much for having me. It's, it's lovely to be here. Oh, it's so nice to have you here with us. Um, can you please start by telling us more about Tomorrow Movement? Yeah, of course. So Tomorrow Movement um, is an unstoppable movement of young people fighting for good jobs, great public services and a safe climate for all. Um, we're organising in communities across the country um, to fight for a tomorrow that works for all of us, um, not just big business. Um, yeah, and we've kind of been organising across the country for a couple of years now, um, really trying to push for a climate jobs guarantee, um, which is like this big transformative policy agenda that um, we think would see a safe climate like future for all, um, but also like a better future for all and like, you know, create a world that we all want to live in. Yeah, yeah because, you know, there are so many... Um issues in our society at the moment that really intersect with each other, um, jobs crisis, housing crisis, and of course, the overarching climate crisis. Mm -hmm. I'm sure many of our listeners may have seen, um, you know, on social media and in the news, really, I guess, impressive footage of young people from Tomorrow Movement campaigning at um, Parliament House in Canberra. um, And you know, being forcibly removed by police, but still being really staunch and, um, and yeah, sort of soldiering on. Can you tell us more about this campaign and, and what it was like um, being in Canberra? Yeah, of course. So after the recent federal election, um, you know, we saw a really, really big opportunity um, with the new federal Labor government, like, elected. Um, like, we really saw a chance to go and, like, set the bar really high for climate action, um, because they were elected on a on a climate mandate. Um, and like, yeah, so we took 100 young people from across the country, um, did a bunch of really awesome training and then went up to Canberra and basically, yeah, demanded like a better vision from the Labor government. Um, and like, yeah, saw a lot of really incredible young people like speak and put like put themselves on the line. Um, and we saw some like really um, quite crazy um, police brutality, mm. um, which is like definitely increased um in the past couple of years and so that was actually quite confronting for a lot of people but um like it definitely was something that people wanted to do because like you said like it is intersectional um and all of these crises around jobs and housing and um you know they really are it's 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 yeah it's like we need a big vision to really Mm -hmm. um try and create a better future for us all so it was like a really key moment um to really be able to like set that bar really high um yeah and so that's why we went to Canberra yeah and so um what oh what what is it um where are you at now I guess with this campaign yeah so after um after you know bringing 100 people to Canberra um and kind of trying to set that vision really high we've got local groups across the country um that are really organizing in their communities now to like build that mass popular support for the climate jobs guarantee um but to also engage with like key target um, Labor MPs and senators um, because we really want to try and see some like champions come out for climate jobs for all and for a climate jobs guarantee. Um, so we're like working pretty closely to put the pressure on Labor um, to really like yeah embrace this vision and like embrace it as something that could be really powerful and transformative. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah coming up um, in the next couple of months we've got a whole bunch of stuff but like the main one the big thing that's coming up is 
COP27 in November. Um, there's International um, Climate Conference um, and it's going to be like Albanese's first international climate conference. It's going to be like Labor's first one in about almost a decade. Um, and so like we want them to take like a really strong plan to that. Um, and they've got, you know, a bunch of targets, but we want them to take a plan that's like truly transformative and like could change people's lives materially and could address the housing crisis and the economic crisis and like all of the other issues that young people are facing and not just address the climate crisis like individually in a silo. Um, so yeah, like ahead of that in early November, we'll be doing a whole bunch of actions across the country, um, to really try and yeah, like give labor a, an opportunity to come out in support of climate jobs guarantee and be like, put that pressure on them to show that like young people do have a really hopeful vision for the future and we want them to embrace it. Um, yeah. And so like would encourage people to like get involved in those if they want to, um, the website's best place, best place to go. Um, we've got welcome calls pretty regularly and like local teams always having meetings and actions and things to get involved in. Yeah. I know that you had one at Black Spark. Yeah. Yesterday yeah. or no, no, just on Sunday. Yeah. On yeah. Sunday. One of the things, um, that, so we've got three teams in Melbourne, but the, the North NAM team, um, had a climate jobs guarantee visioning session on Sunday, which is just like an incredible session to go to. I would really encourage listeners to go along because um, you just get to like, you know, the climate space is like, it's an incredible space, but there's so many people who are really like burnt out and it can be a really exhausting place to be in. And so it's a wonderful chance to like go and like vision what a better future could actually look like mm. um, and like sit in a room full of young people and like feel hopeful, but also feel um, powerful and think about like how do we actually tangibly engage with power and how do we like try and fight for this vision for everyone so it's a really like hopeful kind of event but also like you get you start doing the work you sit down and you're like what do we actually need to do to win this yeah for sure um just a note on cop 27 it didn't feel like that long ago when we had cop 26 yeah um so it's it's I guess, like what you were saying, it's so important for for labor to really show up and and to um, give us something new and radical to work with. And like you were saying, you know, they've just won the election, and so there's really no better time than than right now. Um, and yeah, it was great to see um, all those young people out there. Um, you know, campaigning and, and protesting and really showing up for their future because it really is about them. Mm. Um, just uh, touching on, um, you know, you and I were kind of in the lead up to this interview talking about the communities that are really affected by climate change um, and feel it, I guess, more than others. Can you tell us a bit more about this? Yeah, of course. Um, so... Yeah, I also just want to touch on what you said about like fighting for our future as well and like acknowledge that um, part of the reason we fight is also like for today. Um, like there's so many people mm. on the front lines today and like we are seeing the climate crisis in our communities and like across the country. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of like gender, um, yeah, it's just like it's it's just a fact that like the climate crisis does and will continue to more um, greatly disproportionately affect like women, people of colour, queer communities, um, like basically folks who are already like feeling the worst of it and feeling the brunt of it, like First Nations communities. Um, and like, if nothing changes, like they will continue to feel the worst of it. And mm. so at Tomorrow Movement, we really try and take a climate justice lens um, and acknowledge that like, not only do we need to like reduce emissions, but we actually need to like transform our societies so that um, everyone is taken care of and that there is justice um, and that we do like, um, you know, yeah, I guess create a better world for all. Um, and so what's really interesting in that is like, um, and, and also when you take an international lens, 
um, like the flooding in Pakistan mm. is something like, you know, like internationally, um, Australia's not pulling our weight there either. Um, you know, there's like 33 million people affected um, and a whole bunch of them, I'm sure, would be women taking care of their families and their communities. Um, and so, yeah, in it, but in, in like the Tomorrow Movement context, it's really interesting that like so many of our leaders are women and they are queer people and they're, you know, people who are more affected by it um, and people who like really care, like a lot of folks at Tomorrow Movement are people who like really care and really want to get to work and do the work. Mm. And that does often end up being, um, yeah, women, queer folks, non-binary people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it's great to have people like that championing for climate justice, um, but it, it's it's that thing where at the same time we do we really need to um, hold account these massive businesses, mm-hmm. um, these massive corporations who are destroying the environment, and of course the government government as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's even though there's a lot of heavy stuff going on at the moment, it is really exciting to see that there are people, predominantly young people, um, really doing something about it, like you said, not just for their future, but also for people right now, because there's a lot happening right now, like the climate crisis is here. Yeah, Yeah. we're here, we're living in it. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Just to uh, finish our interview for today, Jazz, you were saying that there are lots of things that people can do to get involved. Um, Could you maybe give us one or two actions that you think are the most effective? Yeah, um, I think like the most... Oh, the most effective. That's always a fun question. Um, I think the best thing like to do if you want to get involved with Tomorrow Movement and the work that we're doing is like to go to the website and sign up for a welcome call and you'll get connected with everyone in the movement um, and like um, hear a little bit about who we are um, and like, yeah, a bit more than what I've just said basically um, and then you'll get directed to a local team. But like I guess like in terms of actually taking action, I just like really encourage people to like, um, yeah, like, get out into their communities and just just do something like I definitely think it's important to like you know um try and meaningfully engage with with power and climate justice um but that's going to look different for everybody Mm. um and so like I just really want everyone to like you know be hopeful and kind to each other and um in in the movement space but also like to be really clear-eyed about like it's going to take a lot of work for us to win this um and to like meaningfully engage um so like yeah try and get to work I suppose yeah awesome and I like what you said about how you know that um action looks different for for everybody um and i think we can all play our role and have an effect um on or create change in our own way so that's really important to note as well um unfortunately that's all we have time for today but thank you so much Daz, for for coming in and telling us more about the tomorrow movement and i guess um yeah encouraging people to get to work um we can pop the link to the Tomorrow Movement website in our show notes if people want to visit later on. But yeah, thanks again for coming on our show, Jazz. Thanks so much for having me, Fung. All right. So we just were speaking to Jazz Walker from the Tomorrow Movement about um, all things climate. Um, We'll be back with uh, an interview with Ursula from Healthy Futures right after this next track. This is by Japanese Breakfast and the song is Kokomo, Indiana.
just playing in the background there was the song Kokomo Indiana by Japanese Breakfast. We are now joined by Ursula Alkia from um, Healthy Futures, who's here to speak to us about the open letter signed by healthcare workers demanding that the Victorian government commit to 100% renewable energy by 2030. Welcome to 3CR Breakfast, Ursula. Good morning. Um, could you start by telling us more about Healthy Futures? Yeah, so Healthy Futures is a small, nimble, very passionate organisation that works with healthcare workers uh, across Australia who are concerned about the impacts climate change is are already having is already having on our health and our healthcare systems, um, and also those that want to be involved in solutions to the future to try to prevent some of those health impacts. Yeah, so when you're talking about health impacts, could you, um, I guess, give us more of an idea of, of what that looks like? Sure. So there's obviously immediate impacts that those of us that live close to coal power stations already are living with. Uh, so that's impact on um, our generally lifespan, um, health in terms of um, the toxins we're breathing in and lung disease. And um, so one really good example is that Loyang A, which is one of the coal power stations currently still operating in the Latrobe Valley, is um, set to close in 2045. If the closure of Loyang was brought forward to 2030, which is in line with the World Health Organization's recommendations, uh, just by bringing the closure of one coal power station forward 15 years would actually save 1,500 lives, prevent 32,000 cases of childhood asthma episodes and prevent uh, over 1,900 babies from being born underweight. So you can see that living with fossil fuels right now has an impact on the health of our communities. And then we're also talking about the impact we're seeing from extreme weather events caused by climate change. Uh, often our healthcare workers are at the front line of supporting their communities through devastating bushfires, floods and droughts. And there's a lot of physical impact on people's health. There's also, we're seeing a massive mental health um, crisis because of extreme weather events caused by climate. So health is a really big price that we're paying um, for having not acted on climate fast enough and healthcare workers want to be part of that solution. Yeah, that's um, that's so that's such an important issue and I feel like not really discussed very much um, when it comes to climate. Um, can you tell us more about some of the health bodies that have that are concerned with with our futures in terms of um, climate? Yeah, so we work with a lot of medical associations and bodies on lots of different things, um, advocacy and education. Uh, but for this particular action that's happening tomorrow, we are delivering a letter calling for bipartisan support of um, a renewable energy target of 100% by 2030. So obviously Labor is currently sitting at 50%. The coalition don't have a target policy at the moment. And that letter that uh, we've been 
um, floating around has some pretty impressive signatories on it already, and some of those are the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners, uh, the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons, um, the Public Health Association of Australia, the Australian Medical Students Association, um, the Health and Climate Alliance. Uh, we've got trade unions such as the Victorian Allied Health Professionals Association that have signed on, uh, Healthy Food Systems Australia. So it's really broad uh, and it's really interesting that um, some of these incredibly um, uh, sort of broad organisations are now realising that they need to be part of this conversation as well and that healthcare professionals need to be part of um, developing policy around supporting people's health as we deal with climate and also preventative measures. Yeah, it's always so impressive to witness, you know, such great solidarity between different groups and different organisations within a sector. So that's like you said, there are some very impressive signatories that have signed this letter. Um, so the plan is to deliver the letter tomorrow. Can you tell us more about um, what's going to happen? Yeah, sure. So uh, we'd love people to come down to Parliament House at 12.30 to join us. You don't have to be a healthcare worker. Uh, if you are, that's a bonus, but you definitely don't need to be. We have a lot of supporters that um, are not in, in the healthcare sector. So at 12.30, we're going to have a few speakers. We've got um, uh, Magdalena Simonis, um, who is the president of the Australian Federation of Medical Women. And we've also got um, Anita Munoz, who is the Victorian chair of the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners. Um, and they'll be speaking to us about why it's so important that we do take action on climate and more specifically why we we want bipartisan support for this target. Um, I'll be reading out a speech on behalf of a mental health nurse who lives in Gippsland, uh, Veronique Hamilton. Unfortunately, because we had to change the initial date of the action, she can't make it, but she's written a really powerful speech about her personal experience in dealing with the mental health impacts of climate in her community. So I'll, be, um, I'll have the honour of reading that out on her behalf. Then we're going to do um, a group photo. So, again, we'd love people to get involved there. And then we will be delivering the letter uh, to uh, those that it has been addressed to, which is the Premier, the Opposition Leader, um, Marianne Thomas, the Health Minister, the Shadow Health Minister, Georgie um, Crozier, and the Climate Change Minister, Lily D'Ambrosio, and the Shadow Climate Minister, James Newbury. Now, we have reached out to all of... Uh, those ministers. Um, interestingly, the only one sending a representative to accept the letter is uh, Lily D'Ambrosio's office. Her senior advisor will be accepting the letter on her behalf, which is great. Um, but this is just very much the beginning for us, um, really um, starting to send a really clear message about why this is so important for health. And as I mentioned earlier, this is in a line, alignment with the World Health Organization and what they're calling for if we're going to protect people's health from the most severe climate impacts. Uh, so we will also be having a follow-up online action three weeks after this action tomorrow. So for anyone listening that can't make it tomorrow but would like to get involved, just head to our Facebook or Instagram account and we'd love to have you involved 
in that online action as well. Awesome. And and maybe we can chat to you in a, in a couple of weeks' time about that as well. Um, what you were saying before about you know, the, the, the impacts on people's mental health. Um, that's such an important um, element to consider as well. And, and like you said, healthcare workers are really at the front line of any disaster. I mean, they've been working um, so hard continuously throughout the pandemic and are still um, working so hard to keep people healthy and safe. And, you know, with the ongoing um, climate crises and, you know, um, disasters like the floods and and you know bush bushfires of the past it is really important that um we do not only take care of our community but also support our healthcare workers in this way so um thank you so much ursula for for joining us this morning uh we can pop the link to healthy futures in our show notes later so that people can access um the event information for tomorrow awesome that that's great thanks so much for having me that was Ursula Alkia from Healthy Futures speaking to us about the open letter that um, many, many healthcare professionals have signed um, demanding that the Vic government commit to 100% renewable energy by 2030. Um, we'll be back right after this message. PX Fano is a Pacifica LGBTIQ plus podcast providing a platform for Pacifica communities to unpack and discuss the narratives and the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Presented by Pacific X, a collective that celebrates Pacific Island LGBTIQA plus communities and meaningful connections that honours cultural and gender identities. You can catch the podcast series on your favourite podcast platform. Supported by 3CR and funded by the Victorian Government Multicultural Communications Outreach Program. For more information and to hear our podcast episodes, go to 3cr.org.au forward slash PXFANA, spelt P-X-W-H-A-N-A-U. the single most important film on the Aboriginal political struggle in the last 50 years. Ningla Anna is the inside story of the Aboriginal Tent Embassy, a gripping first-hand account of an iconic protest action and the young radicals who took control and demanded justice. Rediscover this iconic documentary and a momentous period for First Nations activism in this brand new restoration. Screening Cinema Nova, Carlton, from Friday the 30th of September to Sunday the 2nd of October. A 3CR supporter. Welcome back to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. Carnegie, what a big show. It really was. Like, I feel like we've um, covered so many important topics we have. in the last hour and a half. And I feel like we throw around the word jam-packed. Um, maybe <laughs> oh, a bit do too we li- ever? <laughs> we just we throw it, it around. Yeah, we use it a bit too liberally. But I I do actually think that today was, um, a, yeah, a super turbo show in, yeah. in, in the best way. Um, okay, let's quickly recap what we talked about today. So we heard from Linda Kennedy, who spoke at the Dwelling for Justice Forum. 
Um, and after that, we spoke with artist Foni Salvatore about her exhibition at Footscray Community Arts called Citizen. Um, we then spoke with Katie Elizabeth, who is an award-winning app designer, about her new social good project, Footscray Foodie, that um, is launching on Thursday at 2 US Street for anyone who wants to come. And then we spoke with Jazz Walker from the Tomorrow Movement about um, climate jobs for all and what needs to be done to secure a future for young people. And then we just heard from Ursula Alkia from Healthy Futures about their open letter being delivered to Parliament tomorrow. Um, stay tuned. There's Accent of Women coming up next. And, yeah, we'll see you next Tuesday. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop. Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au. 3CR would like to thank our sponsors, Earth Greetings. Cards that connect, care and celebrate. Support wildlife and habitat with every purchase. Inspired by nature, giving back to the planet. Learn more at earthgreetings.com.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.